When are we going to have peace? You know, my heart hurts for the people of Belarus and Afghanistan and Ethiopia. Uh, my heart hurts for people in Central and Latin America who seem to always be at conflict. The Middle East, Israel, Palestine, Iraq, Iran. But closer to home, we have animosity too. And some of it's big and violent, and we see it on the news. But a lot of the violence and hostility and lack of peace is closer than that. You can look at the statistics on violence and conflict in our country are staggering. You know, half a century ago, John Lennon wrote a song called Give Peace a Chance. And it was an anthem half a century ago. And we're still here. Does peace have a chance? I think it does. Maybe today, as we kind of think about what Jesus had to say and what Paul, the writer of the Ephesians, had to say, maybe we can figure out what role we might have in creating peace amongst ourselves. See if that might flow out into the wider community. But before we do that, will you pray with me? Father God, I pray that the words of your mouth, the words of my mouth, and the meditations of my heart will be pleasing to you. And they'll be helpful to those who hear them. And that will take action on the words that you've given to us. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So there's a reason why we have conflict. There's a reason why we don't get along. And in this letter to the Ephesians, the writer who we think is Paul spells it out for us. There's this dividing wall of hostility. We're all familiar with hostility, and some, for some of it's, it's just low-level kind of seething anger, and for others it's just outright, like, we're at the airport. Not me personally. I, I've been at the airport. But people in the airport fighting with each other. It's like, you guys don't even know each other. And so we've created walls between ourselves. For the writer of this book, this letter of Ephesians, he only had two that were really important for, for what he was trying to, to portray, and that was Jews and Gentiles specifically. And so what Christ did is he breaks down that wall, that major wall, and then all the other little walls we start putting back up. And so as a result, we don't have peace. Not just peace in our hearts, but peace in our interpersonal relationships, so for the writer, there's just two things, those two major things, and there's this wall up between us. And only Christ can break up down that wall. And really, only Christ can break down any of these walls. And he does it in and through us. There's these parallels that the writer has in this passage. And it's really interesting because it says, there, there's without God in the world, let's see, sorry, there's, there's these two parallels. I'll have to look up here because I didn't have it right here in my notes. In Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And he skipped down a little bit. It says, he came and proclaimed peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. That's the message. You might have heard somebody say the gospel of peace. 
that's part of the message that we're to proclaim to people in our lives, and not just from a stage or on TV or wherever we might proclaim it or preach it, but it's to live our lives out as peaceful people and to pursue that and, and take action on that. And so there's peace that's far off. Peace has been declared to people that are far off, and that can be the people in Ethiopia. That could be peace to those who are near, and those people that are right next to us in this room, or people we work with, or our neighbor that we may or may not get along with. All of those people are folks that we are to pursue peace with, and yet we continue to put those walls up between ourselves. Now this word, there's far and close, and then there's atheist, this word without God, and there's this word without Jesus. And so that's word without God would have been interesting for the writer to use because everybody that wasn't a Jew or a Christian thought that the Christians and the Jews were the atheists. They thought they were without God because they didn't have this, they didn't have something physical to look at. They didn't have some kind of place where they looked and worshipped this specific uh, statue or idol or whatever. And so Paul kind of flips that. The writer flips that and says, these people are the ones who are without God. And so we can't have peace without God. We can't have peace without Christ. Now, this peace, this word, we think of as kind of being tranquil. Or, you know, we get our, we, we, we do yoga or Pilates and try to get, one, get at one with ourselves. And there's something to that. Because the root of this word that, you, that we keep seeing in here of peace is to join together and to make whole. And that's what peace is, right? That's to bring two things together and make it whole. Not to bring two things together and then diminish one while the other one is raised, but to put those together in something that's, that's beautiful and sound and just feels right. And that's what peace is to, is to be. But we don't necessarily want that. We don't necessarily want to join with others. We kind of want things the way we want them. Our way is the best way. We want to be in control of the situation. Uh, we want to keep what are, what's ours. We have this scarcity mentality. Whereas if I let them have, if I make concessions over here, then I might lose out. Or if I just back off altogether, then I, I lose too. And we kind of had this idea that, you know, there's not enough to go around. And I'm not just talking about material things. I'm talking about there's maybe not, maybe we don't feel like there's enough love for us or acceptance for us to, or care for us. And so those are the things that keep us from having peace because we kind of want what we want. And we're not necessarily concerned about the others. And sometimes it's arrogance that causes this, and sometimes it's just ignorance. That passage that Sarah read earlier from Psalm 85, just a beautiful passage. And I just want to highlight just a little, little piece of it. He says, he'll speak peace to his people. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. It's just a beautiful picture of what is, what God is trying to do in the world. That's, he's, that God has been trying to do for thousands and thousands and millions of years is bring peace for justice or righteousness and peace to kiss, to come together, to join.
Jesus is the only author of peace, and he's the mediator of peace. When he was ready to go into Jerusalem one last time before they crucified him, he stood outside of the city, and this is what he said. He wept over the city, and he said, if you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. He wanted large-scale peace. He want, This is a pretty decent-sized place with a lot of kind of an international feel to it, Jerusalem. He wanted peace there, but he knew they wouldn't have it because they wanted it on their terms, kind of like us. We want peace the way we want it. And we're not necessarily inclined to give it to somebody else. So he weeps over Jerusalem. I want to look at that passage just for one more minute. So Jesus gives us an example of how peace is achieved. Let's go to that next one. Sorry, Cameron. It's brought near by the blood of Christ through his flesh through the cross. I should be pointing down here for people that are online. I haven't figured that out yet. But there's, there's a suffering and there's a sacrifice and there's a giving up of Jesus' life in order to show us what peace can be, what peace can bring. And for us, the suffering doesn't have to be that great to reduce conflict in our relationships. And so if we think about what Christ did as an example for us, we have an opportunity to endure just a little bit of suffering in order to create peace in the people that are are with us, to be a part of the peace process for those that are close to us. That little bit of suffering can go a long way. Now, in the microcosm, as opposed to Jerusalem getting its stuff straight or Portland or Miami or someplace over in other parts of the world, the peace process in those places is hard because they try to do it for everybody and said, okay, everybody get on board. But what Jesus did shortly after he died, he came and spoke to his disciples. And he said, my peace I give to you, or peace unto you. And I think it's important for us to realize that we're disciples as well. And Christ is wanting to work in and through us to bring peace into other relationships, to bring peace into the places we work and live and play and walk. He started with that small group, and they've passed down this peace process over and over and over again. They did it in community. They did it in places where it it wasn't noticed. It wasn't like, We've seen in our country where Jimmy Carter or Jared Kushner or name name them have gone and tried to create peace in different places. It's underlying stuff. It's things that we're never going to notice. I have a friend, his name is Celestin, and Celestin works throughout eight or nine countries in Africa, and he's from Rwanda. And he does reconciliation ministry among people in those different places. And it's about forgiving and figuring out how to reconcile these relationships. You've never heard of him, but he does work in all these places. 
And there's other groups like that that are pursuing peace that we don't even know about, and they do it in Christ's name. And we can do that. And that's what we are called to do. And it starts with, well, our, our households or our, our close relationships. Because if we're having conflict in those spaces, then it's really hard for us to think that, well, maybe they can work it out someplace else between 3 million and 8 million people. You have to think about that work that's being done behind the scenes is thankless. You can ask Jesus about the peace work he did. It was thankless. You can look at the Beatitudes where it says, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are those that mourn, blessed are the peacemakers. That doesn't feel like blessed people. However, in Christ's economy, in the way God works, those people are doing are, are not, not outside of the love of God. But we have to be like Jesus in that we speak to our God and say, you know, not my will, but God's will. Not what I want, but maybe what somebody else needs. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a theologian, and he lived in Nazi Germany, died in Nazi Germany in prison. And what he says about peace and what he says about community and relationships is that the only way to mediate a relationship is through Jesus Christ. So there's no great opportunity for two people to have that wholeness that peace evokes without Jesus working in, in and through both of those people. And then there's another theologian, Miroslav Volf, and he's more contemporary, but he grew up in Croatia. And, you know, Croatia and Serbia and Yugoslavia back in the... It started out way before the 80s, but there was all these hostilities... And he wrote a book called Exclusion and Embrace a few years ago, and it's about kind of bringing people together. One thing that can't happen in order for peace to happen in our relationships is if we try to control the other person. That's what that exclusion and embrace thing is, because a lot of times we want to bring everybody into the fold, but as long as we're in charge of it, as long as we can control it, as long as we can determine the outcome. And so those are, those are some starting points, some things to to think about, but what can we do? What are some things that we do can it, to achieve peace in our lives, in our relationships? I'm going to go in the negative direction first, and then we're going to have more positive stuff. The question I, I could put is, what if I don't pursue peace? What if we continue to do what we do and just kind of live with a low-lying hostility or anger or, you know, there was a guy that wrote a book years ago and it talked about the anger can. And if your can is full of nine all the time, it's going to just explode pretty regularly. And So what is it that we can do to bring down that level of hostility within ourselves? So what is it if we don't pursue peace? And then part of what we have to do as disciples or people that are trying to follow Jesus so we have to trust that Jesus is in control of the, the situation somehow. And I, don't, I can't understand that fully. You know, I'm supposed to know some of that stuff, and I just don't. But I know that if I place my trust in him, that those things that I do, those relationships that I have, those are going to be okay. And he's going to love that person, and I'm going to love that person, and he's going to love both of us, and he wants us to be whole. 
and Paul, a writer of probably of Ephesians, but of many other scriptures, says that we have to look out to the interest of others, not just for our own interest, but to those around us and see what they need. A lot of times we get confused with what we want and what we need. And if we can pursue what other people need, not just what they want, look out for their interests, their true interests, kind of like you do with your kids if you have kids, or your pets if you have pets, is you want what's best for them. And we have to do that, not just for ourselves, but for the people around us. We can help out with organizations like Safe Burks who are trying to create peaceful homes. They are pursuing peace, not in exactly the same ways that I'm talking about today, but there's people like Safe Burks. There's that organization Alarm that I was mentioning earlier, my friend Celestin works for, that is, is the founder of. There's other organizations that we can partner with that maybe work on a bigger level than we ever will that are pursuing peace out in the world. And we have an opportunity to be a part of those spaces. And surrender is another thing that we can do. We have to relinquish our, our need to control and just surrender ourselves to God. You know, and that's not complacency. That's not ambivalence. That's not laziness. That's just, hey, I don't necessarily need this. I can, I can do better. I can do I, I can live a flourishing life without getting everything that I think that I want. And then spend time with peaceful people. Carmen and I were had a, at a restaurant yesterday, and it, does, it hasn't happened very much in a long time. And just, just a section over, there was a couple of people that were talking. And it was just kind of hostile talk, you know, and it wasn't, they weren't mad at each other. They were just mad. And I, I don't want to be around. I, don't want, I, I, I want to love those people, but I don't need to spend all of my time with people that are just hostile and angry. And neither do you. You need to find people in your life that are going to be encouraging and, and will lift you up and that you can lift up. That's what it means to be a peacemaker. If all we do is gripe and moan and complain, there's no peace in that. And you know that, but it's easier to gripe and complain and moan than it is to encourage and care and lift somebody up. And then we have to ask ourselves, uh, over the last year and three months or whatever, I've been working from home more, and Carmen has a studio. My wife is Carmen. She has a studio, and we've kind of just she kind of took the top space of our attic and uses that for her studio. And she'll be talking to her kids, um, whether virtual. Most of them are virtual, but then she's got some kids that have started coming back in with masks and things like that. She teaches piano and voice and music. And I hear her say often, "What's the worst thing that could happen?" Like a kid's trying a new piece, or they're trying to figure something out, and they just want to get it perfect instead of just trying, right? What is the worst thing that could happen if we try to pursue peace? You can play that out as far as you want to, but you're probably not going to die. If you go, if you go to some place that's super dangerous, like if you go to like one of the top 10 most violent places on earth, then 
You're, you're putting yourself out there a little bit, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being at peace with your neighbor, being at peace with the grocery worker that maybe has a low level of hostility towards everybody around them. I don't know. But what's the worst thing you could, that could happen if you decided to pursue peace? So the question for today is, are we willing to give peace a chance? We're not going to sing the John Lennon and Yoko Ono song. Um, there's some stuff in there that probably isn't PG-13. You can go listen to it later. It's fun. Um, but I'm going to have the band come back up for a time of reflection, and they'll close us in a song. I want you guys, once they kind of get back up here, I want you to just close your eyes for a couple of minutes. Not a couple minutes, 30 seconds to a minute. Just give, us, give yourself some time. I was going to say give me some time, but give yourself some time to reflect. There's a couple of things to be thinking about. So go ahead and close your eyes. What are the walls you've built up? What small amount of suffering might you endure to achieve peace in your relationships? What are the walls and what small amount of suffering might you be willing to adore to achieve peace? And then ask Jesus to speak peace into your life so you can speak peace into others.